From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber, live from America Podcast, where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Dorman. Hey, Boris. Hello, and welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem alongside me, the one and only Noam Dorman, owner of the legendary comedy cellar. Hello, sir. Hello, hello, hello. He's back. You made it in time. Hopefully he was in uh, the comedy cellar in Vegas. How is things in Vegas going for the cellar? Uh, they're going okay. I wouldn't say uh, fantastic, and I would say, uh, wouldn't say badly. They're going, they're going okay. And if you know anything about Noam, of course, he will never say it's fantastic. While it's always fantastic, he always say that, and especially the Vegas one. You were very like, oh no, it's not gonna work, and it's booming, which is good for you. That's not true. I'll, I'll, business in New York is fantastic. No, I'm talking about the Vegas location because it's never been fantastic. It's always been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Boris Iken is here, comedian. You, you have like regular. a deep, you have like a deep, uh, like. Uh... You know, Egyptian skepticism of, uh, you know, anything a Jew might say about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, know, you know what it is? It's like if you, okay, let me explain to you. If Noam had two child, two children, one is from a Jewish mother, that would be the comedy seller in New York. One from a Palestinian mother, that would be the comedy seller in Vegas. <laughs> So he's never you're really... giving him you're giving him a lot of credit already. <laughs> he never he never really loved him, but he's still his son. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, boys, welcome, boys. Good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, good to be back. Good to see you guys. Yes. And our guest of honor is Dr. Annie Casina. She is a PhD, is a coach, speaker, and award-winning uh author who has spent nearly 20 years helping survivor or of narcissist abused and healed the hurt of, uh, you know, abuse relationship, uh, an unhealthy relationship and all that. And she's joined us all the way from Oxford. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. You've already already cracked me up with your comments about uh, Jewish mothers and Palestinian fathers and all of these uh, comedy shows. <laughs> Brilliant. This, I'm loving it. <laughs> this is, Actually, this is kind of why we started the whole thing is like, you know, because, uh, you know, we, me and Norm always, you know, he owns the commissar. I used to work there, you know, and, and his dad before that. And it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, there's, it's obviously a Jewish Israeli environment. There's a lot of Arabic workers, like so many. And we mm -hmm. always like, you know, it's, it's fun to, to debate, you know, especially mm -hmm. for your boss and you still like can be able to say whatever you want and yell and stuff like that. And, um, and work at the same time so it's it's always been uh like that we 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 agree to disagree and most of the times i'm right and he's wrong but yeah you just don't <laughs> get a piece of land in the comedy cellars what's important no no we didn't get any <laughs> the irony is that people people at first glance would think that oh you know if, if you're arabic and you're debating your jewish boss you'll you have to hold your tongue you know you can't say whatever you want but really it's the opposite 
That's what I just said. <laughs> That's the best thing about it. Yeah, I, I have to hold my tongue. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Annie, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you. As you see, there's all, already uh, a narcissist abuse relationship right there. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. <laughs> So first, uh, how is things in England that, you know, the queen passing and, and all that? How is, how is the uh, feeling over there, the atmosphere and all that? Are you happy with Charles's rules so far? <laughs> um, yeah, very happy with Charles's rules so far. I have to say that I belong to this sort of whole host of people who somehow found ourselves turning into monarchists at some point in our lives and we love the queen because the queen was marvelous and it was quite respectable to love the queen but charles was always this slightly alternative guy but not in a good way and then he gave his first speech and i found myself going oh he's a lovely man really yes i think he'll make a good king um it is a time of great upheaval and sadness for all of us, though. But you um, wouldn't prefer Prince Andrew? No. <laughs> you can have Prince Andrew any time you want. Plus, he's got a new role. But I thought in... Charles, does, or King Charles now, uh, said he mm. didn't want to be a king at some point. Did he? I think I thought... a few years ago. Um, years, but like when he was, you know, started dating before he married, uh, he's like, I don't really care about being a king, but I could be wrong. Um, it could be an episode of Seinfeld. I don't remember. I don't take my information from <laughs> <laughs> Well, he wasn't in a rush, and yeah. that's for sure. How, how old? How old is he? He's like only 73. <laughs> yeah, it's, wow. it, does it bother you, you know? Like when you see a reaction like around the world, like a lot of people are obviously more. I mean, death is awful for anybody, obviously. But, you know, you see also a lot of people who are like, oh, no, you know, the old kingdom wasn't that all good to the rest of the world. And so, especially like in third world countries and stuff like that. Does that bother you at all or not really? I'm just wondering. Well, I mean, how far are we going back in history? Yeah. The British Empire was disgraceful, but so were all empires. Sure, sure. Um. And the actual queen was really quite a good woman. You know, she didn't encourage oppression and the Commonwealth was set out actually after the end of the empire to do something quite different. So it wasn't a tool of oppression. So, no, it doesn't worry me personally. Okay. But, you know, I'm also Jewish. And if you want to hold a grievance against every nation for what happened 50 and 100 years ago, you'd have a lot of grievances. No, it's true. You know, here, I... here. Well put. Good. Sorry. I uh -huh. think it's I think it's sort of that today's ideology obviously has like, you know, white privilege is a thing. And mm. if you're somebody who who nods to that ideology, I mean, it's irrespective of how good you are as an individual white person. So if that's the case, I don't, I can't think of anybody more privileged than the queen of England as far as white people go, you know? Yeah. Uh, you see, the, the reason is like, I just find a lot of, uh, that I ask this question, a lot of like, especially from, from India, you know, the, the, you know, in general, the reaction was a little different, you know, but, mm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get into it as much, but you know, I don't think like yes, I do think that if you're gonna hold everybody to what they did, 
a while ago, everyone is guilty. But I don't think also people can just forget. It's like, oh, it's hundred years ago and it's over. You know, I I, I don't agree with that part. But but in it, but yes, mm. everyone is guilty of something. No, no, no exception in my opinion. You know. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like you know, not not for the reason it's like, oh, uh, hundred to two hundred years ago, then it's it's over. I don't agree with that part. No, it's it's you know, its question is what you actually do with it, and just trying to hold everybody to account for, I mean, what do you even mean by holding people to account? I didn't say hold people to account. No, I mean, but I, that's one of the things that seems to be going on, that the Queen and the royal family should be accountable for what their forebears did. Uh, I, I think I, the people... Go ahead, Boris. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the people that want that more want to say those things and then if you push them in order for it to do anything practical it would always lead to some sort of redistribution of wealth right that's like mm. you know there's there's really nothing in between because everything else that you try to do is just going to be looked at as like an admission of fault and now we should push further i i think there's something even deeper going on which is very deep in human psychology which is that um part of our nature is to uh is bad and and uh, takes uh some sort of pleasure or or just is drawn to um uh getting having hateful moments and and outrage and me meanness and bullying these are all deep within us right and i think that's somehow the current political reckoning of the races and ethnicities and ever has crossed over into giving a license for people to dress up very dark motives in uh under the claim of, of a righteous expression of something and we see this all the time and uh some some of these outbursts about the queen well i can't gainsay uh maybe i could if i knew more about history but i, I mean i i tend to think the whole enterprise of judging people from the past is fraught, but I don't know to, to with any detail what the queen's particular, how dirty or clean her hands are, you know, in her, her entire career in terms of the fact that nobody could have any criticisms or resentments of anything she did or didn't do. I don't, I don't know about that stuff well enough, but I don't think that's really what's going on. I think what's really going on is the expression of racial and ethnic bigotry um which is being uh vented and uh, in in a way that somehow is beyond you know can't be criticized and is beyond reproach i mean if, if you were to sit down at a at a table of jews and you know somebody german was there and you know, and and everybody just started going off and and screaming at this German person and complaining about the German people. Look, you like you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is just you know, you, like. But that's kind of what we see every day. It's just like, well, you are you are a representative of your color and of the past, and we can say anything we want about you. Um, and I and it's and aside from all the other things I'm saying, and it's it's just not productive. It it's not going to bring us towards the society that we'd like to wind up with. It's going to uh, uh, instantiate, if that's the word, it's going to, you know, make forever a society of racial resentment. I mean, it's easy for me to say as a white guy, I guess, but 
Uh, on the other hand, as a white Jew, although non-white people lump me in with them, I have no bond with the British Empire of any kind. I have no bond with white people. White people were every bit as cruel to my people in recent history as they've been to anybody else, mm -hmm. right? So even that is a, an extremely shallow, utterly shallow kind of aggregating in a racist or bigoted way of Jews into team with the Germans, right? We're, we're looked at as part of the German group now, the white people. We're, anybody... we're, we're Schrodinger's whites. What's that? Schrodinger's whites. You know what I mean? I don't understand what you're saying. Schrodinger's whites. You know, oh, Schrodinger's cat, like Schrodinger's whites. Like, are they white or aren't they white? It depends on like, do you know what, do you know Schrodinger's cat? Are you familiar with that reference? No. It's like a, it's a philosophical exercise where like there's a cat in a box and he asks you if it's dead or alive. And it's like, it's like a physics philosophy thing where like the cat isn't actually dead or alive until you observe the cat. And that is when it is determined the fact of whether it's dead or alive. Yeah. Anyway. And look, and look, it, I, I, it, doesn't, I just, I, it doesn't hit as well if you don't get there. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and, you know, and, and as I'm saying this, I, I have to just repeat, I, I don't know all that much about it. So, you know, if I, I could totally imagine if I were a Nigerian, you know, and I saw the world uh, crying tears for this woman who represents the British Empire and they'd be like, what the hell do you know what these people did to us? I, I get that. I don't mean to um, I don't want to be shallow about it, but at some yeah. level the kind of things that are being said and the, and the kind of, Oh, you go, you know, the, the applause that are getting, I feel like what I'm seeing is a dark side of human nature, not an actual productive expression of, uh, you know, a critical look at the past. I, I that's just the way I feel about it. There's something yeah. going on. I think Nigerians are probably actually less into like grievance politics than certain people in America are. You know what I mean? When you have actual hardships like that, they're actually just working their asses off to make their lives better rather than like interested in grievance trading. But just to be clear, I, I didn't mean the queen itself, you know. Look, one one thing I find fascinating, and I don't know enough about this, but I do know a little bit about this. If you look back at like pe how people like Frederick Douglass uh, responded to and wrote about their peers, their white peers at the time, who really had the blood of slavery on their hands, right? Um, it was with much more nuance than we see hundreds of years later. And he was a slave, you know, and and he and he was the victims of cruelty. And I, you know, I imagine he had the scars of being whipped on his back, and yet he was able to see the American enterprise uh in a much more nuanced way than people who are doing very well today are able to do so somewhere there you know it's it's worth study and and really deep thought about how that happens and how how someone so close to it could have a more forgiving understanding of it in a way than someone who's really just seeing it in a history book so i don't know i don't want to say the wrong thing i understand yeah. this is a this is a complex issue but go ahead yeah um any any last thought on that before we go to the, the narcissist abuse part of the of the show <laughs> well um i think there is always this thing about historical context you know that those dreadful things occurred in a dreadful uh context and the church was doing its evil bit for sure and 
there was rampant inequality. It was all disgraceful, but it was the whole of society that was disgraceful. Yeah. It wasn't just, um, you know, the British or anything else. I mean, it was just a vile time. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like everyone has blood in their hands. It's not that no one does, you know, if you go special, if you go back. Um, All right. So we we were talking before the show a little bit about, you know, uh, your work and all that. And, you know, and we talk about relationship and especially during COVID and the narcissist abuse and relationship and bad relationship. And he said, like, uh, so tell us, did did, did you work like uh, get affected by COVID more like in a like unfortunate, but like fortunately better for work, but more cases or how did it go? Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I have, to, I, I have to interrupt. Please first start by telling us about what your work is. So, so that the listeners understand uh, yeah, what do you do and, and you know, tell, give us an overview. So um, there's an awful lot of narcissism running amok in society, as you may have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> there are one or two notable American narcissists um, <laughs> who you know, have really focused the mind on narcissism and I think probably advanced the discussion by a decade at least because we couldn't miss them in plain view. And I've spent 20 years actually working with survivors of narcissistic abuse, mainly women. And the reason that I got into this in the first place was because I was one. And I came out of a hideous marriage rather bruised and battered, thinking that something awful had happened to me, but the rest of the world was fine and gradually realized that this was going on and decided that I wanted to do my bit to support other women, to shorten their journey through it and to help with education and healing. Um, And I started working with women and still do work mainly with women because women are statistically more likely to undergo narcissistic abuse. Um, yeah, and narcissistic abuse is this dreadful thing that totally undermines a human being, makes them feel totally unimportant, and drives them slowly crazy as they live in an unreal world. Because we may have noticed that narcissists build this totally unreal world and insist on it so much that you can easily lose your footings and your sense of reality. So could you clarify, sorry, for those of us that might not be as familiar, how specifically could you like maybe just define narcissism as opposed to, let's say, other like a, like, is there a difference between a narcissist and a sociopath? Are they is there some overlap? How if, if someone were trying to know exactly picture who it is that you're talking about? Um, well, yes, there is a certain degree of overlap. Narcissists um, understand how to play people and they can be really quite astute at reading people. They do not care about people. They care deeply about their public image and anyone who can help them burnish it, whatever that means for them. And the people who love them are to be used. They don't particularly mind destroying those people emotionally. When they start having this desire to destroy people physically and it kind of extends out, 
you get more into the realm of the sociopath on the whole. But narcissists can function quite successfully in society. They can be seen as charming and good old boys or whatever. And they can engage, they can function reasonably well in society, but in their own homes, they're tyrannical and they're cruel and destructive. Does that help? Can someone, it definitely does. Can someone be, is it, is this something in the DSM? Like this is like a psychological disorder, I assume. Um, it is in the DSM, yes. Can um, someone be self-aware as a narcissist in the flaws or shortcomings they might have? It sounds like an empathy, if that's what you're describing. And yes. can they choose to live as a person that doesn't hurt other people? Is that, it, you know what I mean? Are narcissists just monsters or is it possible that this person was obviously born this way? Can they choose to live a decent life? And is there some sort of guidance for those people also? No, there's no hope for you, Boris. <laughs> um, so narcissists do know the difference between right and wrong, I believe. They, um, tend to have an issue with uh, being narcissists because a lot of them would say, you know, I'm just smarter than you. I just know what I want. I just deserve more. You know, I've just got the right to push little people aside. So it's not a problem for them. And the sort of, can they change? Can they behave in a way that's not hurtful? Theoretically, yes. You do get one or two narcissists on Instagram who say, I am a narcissist and I've learned and I will tell you all about narcissists um, and make a career of it. But really, narcissism works for them. It's highly unlikely that you want to change something that really does appear to work for you. And take that reduction in status because the narcissist is the king of their family and whatever um, circle they choose to go in. So why would they say, well, I care about you. I care about your feelings. I care about your happiness. I want to leave space for you. when that's a huge reduction in their status and power, which is what really matters to them. So, so yeah, what is the primary motivation of a narcissist? Um, feeling powerful, power and having, yeah, hmm. and feeling smart, yeah. They so to yeah to sum up, I feel like I'm sort of playing devil's advocate. Do narcissists at all deserve our empathy as <laughs> other human beings? Well, that's entirely up to you. But the point is, the narcissists trade on empathy and they weaponize empathy. They all have this fantastic victim story and nobody cries as easily as a narcissist. So you say to a narcissist, I'm totally done with you. I can't take any more. The tears flow. Oh, my God, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And you go, oh, my God, they mean it. I can't hurt this poor soul again. And they weaponize your empathy against you to suck you back into something that will be great for them and damaging for you. Wait, so, it, no, go ahead, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. So, if you 
I'm not sure. I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to have empathy for them. But if you do, you've got to be very careful because they will use it to play you if they possibly can. But I, now, and I want to. I've, I've always wanted to understand this, for, you know, especially when it because there was so much armchair diagnoses of so many armchair diagnoses of Trump, and I and I really was trying to understand it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you say a, a narcissist's primary motivation is power. But like I'm thinking of like the movie The Godfather, like Don Corleone, right? Mm -hmm. He had he had ultimate power. But he didn't strike me as a narcissist because he he mm -hmm. tried to be very low key. He didn't want attention. He he preferred to rule from the shadows, uh, uh, right? But you, but I I always picture and this could be a totally you know mistaken view of it. I always picture a narcissist as also being tied up in the the attention and the ego and the yeah. wanting the expressions of love and admiration and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. You are right. That goes very much with it. Having the power. And I was thinking in, should have said it, in terms of having the attention and the adulation and, you know, being seen. You don't want to work in the shadows terribly much if you're a, narciss a narcissist. So you could you could imagine, and, and maybe we have seen this, a narcissist uh, committing himself to very good work not because mm. not because he really cares about the good work, but because he knows people will consider him a great man if he accomplishes Absolutely. the good work, right? Absolutely. And you can get this strange dichotomy that you've got this person who is revered by his church, revered by a large section of society because of all his good work and then or her good work, and then goes home and is a complete asshole to their family. Yeah. So in a way, maybe like politically voting for a narcissist or having a narcissist boss is a good thing because they're going to get things because i always say they want to be remembered in history and the other part of that my question is mm. like i think a lot of times since trump we we focus on narcissists like in that level is there a difference between being a narcissist in a relationship and at work either leadership or or uh, your boss at work is there a different difference between that being a narcissist in as a politician or as a leader versus in a relationship well, I think you can say for Trump, he was probably consistent throughout all areas of his life. You can, um, if you read Mary Trump, he's probably just as awful in his private life as he was in his public life. It, well, this is it, it's interesting about Trump, and I and I've said this, uh, I've, I've wondered about this before on the show. So when this issue of narcissism first came up about Trump, you know, I began to read about the classic, uh, uh, you know, descriptions of a narcissist. And one of the things where Trump didn't fit, I mean, he fit most of them to a T, is that he seems to actually maintain the love of his children. And narcissists, I read somewhere, may not be reliable, narcissists can also be characterized as having bad relationships with their kids, which Trump doesn't seem to. you have any comment on that? Well, I think you could say he has hugely unhealthy relationships with his kids. I mean... You know, the uh, comment about his daughter, if she wasn't my daughter, I'd probably date her, you know. So he's been running an eye over her for years in a somewhat 
sexual predatory way that you would hope a father would not do. And if you look at the shining examples of charm and concern that are his lovely sons, um, there is something that hasn't quite worked there. You know, would you say then that he's in some ways worse at being a narcissist in the sense that like to me and again i'm just kind of from listening to you understanding what this even is compared to like a sociopath or like other things that like you know but people say that about politicians all the time they say that like a higher percentage of ceos are sociopaths and certainly i'm sure that counts for half the people in our political office that i don't know why anybody else would want to run and mm -hmm. Trump obviously is, you know, gets the armchair diagnosis more than anyone else. The thing about his daughter, to me, I'm not exactly, it feels very easy to say he wants to sleep with his daughter. It could also just be like a dumb thing that he said. But in general, it seems like he gives a lot of these kinds of reasons. Whereas you would think that a narcissist who was really good at gaming emotion and was really good at like gaming other people would be more evasive of that of the, all those flags that he gives to society is he just worse at it is he more obvious what, what is it that's the difference between trump and like i don't know i'm half the other people in congress that i would assume are also narcissists well or is that I, a faulty assumption i would see it differently i would think i would say that trump is very very good at understanding his support base you know that famous line of his he could walk down fifth avenue and shoot someone and get away with it he knows the way their minds work he knows exactly what he can get their away with you know you would have thought that at some point people would go whoa that's a bit too much or you know that's not right but he's a genius at moving people along with him he you doesn't know, I, I had, I'm sorry, I, I had, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this all together in my head. Tr Trump, since we're going to talk about Trump, then we'll talk, but we should also get to the relationships. Um, Trump is obviously a deeply, deeply flawed guy. So uh, I'm trying to make sense of the idea whether all this comes under a diagnosable, scientifically real thing right so and and and, the, and and what's always in the back of my mind is i had my i had a grandmother my father's mother who by every uh uh standard was a narcissist she, she was a compulsive liar i mean outrageous outrageously compulsive liar she had to be the center of attention all mm -hmm. the time in, in a way that you can't even imagine she uh would have a relationships where she would get people to be utterly devoted to her and then behind their back she would talk terribly about them you know in a way and yet and yet she was a devoted loving grandmother and a devoted loving mother to my father she was she was a cruel mother to her daughter mm. um and but there's no question in my mind having you know witnessed it day in day out that the love and the devotion she showed me and to my father was absolutely real all of which is to say that i feel like i've seen you know these things coexist deep narcissism and actual real uh caring in the same human 
And um, so, so having seen that, I'm not ready to say that Trump couldn't also be a loving father. That doesn't that doesn't redeem him in any way from the terrible things that we've seen him do and continue to do. I it just doesn't it it just doesn't comport to my real world experience that uh, it, that, that both things can't be in the same human brain. Um, but that's, like I said, that's not a defense of him. It just means like, I'm, I, I'm ready to believe that he actually also cares about his kids. And that's part of the reason why they seem to care about him, despite being obviously in some way fucked up by having a dad like that. Look, you know, just to, I don't want to mm-hmm. keep talking, but I think the, the, um, the psychological, uh, situation for any child having a larger than life parent, I mean, it, it can't be easy to be Paul McCartney's kid either right no matter how great a kid uh a great greater dad paul mccartney is you try would, being eric clapton's kid all right yeah you're, you're just always <laughs> oh, you're just you're just always going to shrink to nothing whenever he's in the room you can't ever if you're if you're self-aware you know you're never going to be as good as your father was at anything you, you, you just like you know this is a very tough thing you know no matter what you ever amount to it'll always be an asterisk asterisk in the family tree and and whatever so you know despite uh, with, with no narcissism this could be very very challenging for a child so i i don't know that the problems with the trump kids are you know have to be from narcissism as opposed to just this is a bad psychological dynamic but anyway so so mm-hmm. those, those are, you know what what's his name trump's ex-wife which one was the one who died recently ivana ivanka she's ivanka Oh, Ivana's the daughter. Ivanka, she seemed to um no. Isn't Ivanka the daughter? Yeah. I Ivana so. was the oh. idea. Yeah. She seemed to really still maintain affection for Donald, you know, all throughout the post marriage. So that's, you know, she I could let I, him bury her in his golf course, you know. <laughs> it, it it had it has to be observed. Anyway, um, but that again, none of that is to exonerate anything yeah. that Trump has done. It's just it, it, it I guess you have to wonder how perfect these labels are that we put on kind of recurring patterns we see in humans in terms of their messed up attributes. And, we, yeah. you know, they're, they're not perfect, probably. Go ahead. Sorry. So, well, if you look at the DSM, yeah. you don't actually need all the criteria to be a narcissist. You don't need every last one. Equally, it's very unusual for narcissists to have good and healthy relationships with their children. Some of them do have their golden child, and that golden child is smothered with love, not in a healthy way. But, you know, there are always variations in every situation. So your grandmother was nice to her son but vile to her daughters that's the way she played it the male members of the family got relatively good treatment from her yeah yeah all right so now now how did now tell us about these uh mostly women who what they suffer uh, what kind of abuse they suffer and how it traumatizes them going forward and how you help also is narcissism more common in men it sounds like it probably is it, it does appear to be yes, and it can show up more aggressively in men than in women. Women will appear a little bit softer with it anyway, quite like, possibly. Like, like most bad qualities. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and, you know, culturally, I guess women have had less space to grow into delicious narcissism. And certainly the climate now is really good for narcissists to come out and thrive. Once upon a time, the church and society would have not really encouraged that. There's never been a better time to be a female narcissist than today, though, I will say. <laughs> yes, or a male narcissist. So, yeah. Uh, so, so, it, it, go ahead. Tell us about the couples. The couples? You, the, the, what you see, you, you, you're helping women who were victims of narcissistic relationships. Oh, right. So how do you know you're, if you're, you have women out there listening to this? Uh, they're wondering, am I, am I in a narcissistic relationship? Uh, how would they know they're being abused by a narcissist and how would you help them? Well, first off, um, they would be profoundly unhappy and they would feel that they were doing something wrong because whatever they do is never enough for their partner. And they tend to feel that they're losing their mind because they're being gaslit all the time. Their sense of reality is subvertive subverted and they become less competent less able to do anything you can get extraordinarily high achieving women who come home and think they're pathetic little idiots who can hardly work out the household budget they could be you know earning big six-figure incomes and still feel stupid and worthless and incompetent and dependent on this man who is much brighter than they are and so grateful to have him in their lives, even though he's vile to them. And they look back to the times when things were really good and think, we could still have that again. So they've completely lost their sense of self. They're desperately unhappy. They've become isolated from friends and family. They feel powerless and hopeless. Um, those are some pretty good signs that you've been hollowed out from within by a narcissist. So a narcissist person, like, does he look for certain people to be in a relationship with that can accommodate that? Or any relationship he's going to or she's going to be in is going to be a narcissist relationship? Well, Do they exploit I, weakness? I hate that word weakness because it's more vulnerability. Yeah, Boris, what's up with that? Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what's up with what weak? Huh? Yeah. <clears throat> I, have, I, have to I have to apologize for Boris, you know. Yes, he's just having a white privilege male <laughs> moment. He does not represent us. I'm sorry. Sorry he, for... <laughs> he, he used the W word. Right. Okay. So do, do they keep searching for that person? that which i think it's like more of a people pleaser to be in that relationship or any relationship yeah. they're going to be a narcissist mm. well i think there are two things going on one they have very acute antennae they see what's there they are very attuned um if i can tell you a little story from my own life that sums it up for me uh, i've been with my horrible husband for a lot of years and I was getting really rather irritable with all the abuse and everything I brought home a lovely friend of mine for lunch one day and we weren't eating her she was just having a meal with us and um so she sat there and she was her usual sweet gentle self and after she left my I said to my husband what do you think of my friend which is already a stupid question but there you go and he replied by saying just one thing she has a big V for victim on her forehead. He'd actually seen it. Mm. He 
got that she was a vulnerable woman because he was a man who would be looking for a vulnerable woman. So he was just picking up bodily cues, language, everything about her, and he knew that she was a good target. So that's one side of it. The other thing is that narcissists always play the numbers game. So they will have a few people in their sights, a few likelies, and they will go for the one who is most responsive, the one who fits their needs best. Hmm. So uh, it yeah. sounds like the best way to deal with them is to equip people with the ability to not uh, be targeted or, or to maybe effectively know what to look for when they're being targeted. I think it's two things. One, you've got to know what to look for. You've got to sense the signs that someone's coming on too strong, that there are a few odd things happening and say, no, I just don't want this. The other thing is to become the kind of person who is unattractive to a narcissist, which is by being very much your own person and saying, you know, that's bullshit or no, we're not doing it your way. This, you know, what I do, what I want matters too. And then really trusting your own intuition because intuition usually goes, just don't go there. But it does it very, very, very early on in a relationship. And then it just goes, have it your own way. That's, that, that's interesting. I, I have two questions. But you know, as, as you said that, first of all, you, you've proven that I'm not a narcissist because if you knew my wife, uh, there's no way a narcissist would think that because she, she doesn't listen to anything I say. But uh, <laughs> but but I was wondering if if he, if a Melania Trump is is a, is the classic uh, profile of a of a of a, of a narcissist target because she seems to be pretty self assured too. But we don't really know, right? We don't know. No, we don't know her, but yeah. narcissists yeah. can join together in a relationship with narcissists when uh -huh. it serves both of them. So if they have the same goals and they massage each other's egos or help uh, promote each other, it can work very well. It they should can... make a dating app to match them up and then leave the rest of us alone. <laughs> if only, and then send them off on a lovely uh, forever honeymoon to some small uninhabited island somewhere. Right. Very important question now. I have three young children. I would like to raise them so that they don't become narcissists and so that they don't become um, people susceptible to narcissists, vulnerable to narcissists. What, uh, what should I do as a parent? What are, the, what, are the, what are the mistakes that can push them in either direction? All of them are Is just it a learned? Boys. Huh? You what? blocked my joke. I said all of them are just the boys. <laughs> Boris, you go ahead blocking those jokes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, uh, off of what you said, is can they even become narcissists? Is that a learned behavior, or it sounds like if it's in the DSM, it's maybe something that someone is. Are they? Is someone born a narcissist? Can can someone stop being a narcissist over give, time? Give us your child rearing uh, uh, hints. Come on. It's kind of complicated. I think. Um... I said, I think nature helps, but it doesn't always happen. You can get empaths and people who are not at all narcissistic in a family of narcissists. Um, and you can get narcissists who don't, you know, it varies very much. But I think one of the things that is really important is that narcissists learn in a family 
or fledgling narcissists learn in a narcissistic family that narcissism pays off. You learn that screaming at people and pushing people around works. You learn that being ruthless and demanding everything and laying guilt trips on people works. You bring your kids up civilized, that's already one step, that they have, you teach them about other people's feelings, you teach them to know their own place. And if you give them a sense of their own worth and their own value, they're not going to have to turn into people pleasers. So, so can the opposite work? If you if there was a narcissist that was dealing with a group of people, a family or an environment who'd been exposed to the things that you teach other people. And so that person was trying to use these tactics of narcissism in order to get devotion from people, lie to them. And people just noticed their red flags and they and they said, you know what, that's not going to work here. Could that narcissist then through, you know, just the right incentives, see that like this isn't going to fly. I'm going to need to listen to how other people think and feel. It's unlikely because the world's a big place and they can go on and find somewhere else and someone else to prey on. Why would they need to stick around that one group? Hmm. I, I have another question, and and this is this is a deep question, and many uh, it, it opens up many other questions. We don't have to get into all of them, but. When you describe somebody, let's take Trump again, as a narcissist, in some way, we're making an excuse for him, right? Because we're actually, we're mm -hmm. well, because we're diagnosing him with a mental condition, well, which presumably is not his fault. Uh, it's an illness in some way. Uh, and, uh, and, and, it, and in some weird way, we're removing the free will from it can't he just be like uh, an asshole a, a, an asshole in a way that that we don't have to say but you know it's like reminds me of like when people get caught you, I, I have a se i'm a sex addict but i think we say oh sex addict but but if it's true they're sex addicts well they're addicts right so all of a sudden all of a sudden now we're like well maybe we shouldn't be too judgmental he's an addict i mean he has a i mean if somebody has depression we say well you have to you have to be forgiving of them they're depressed if someone has narcissism, is that not similar in that way? Well, you have to be forgiving of him. He can't help himself. He's a narcissist. He needs help. He needs, he needs our love. <laughs> no, that's very much going around um, social media at the moment. You've got the narcissists, apologists, some of whom I think aspire to having the glory of being fully-fledged narcissists. But I think there are two things going on. Um, Trump climbed to the top of the greasy pole so he did not have to be polite and well behaved with anyone but mostly you will find that narcissists can and do conduct themselves beautifully with people that they need to impress they know exactly when to turn it on and turn it off not all but a lot do well, trump does yeah, yeah. That's right. And he was kind of cute with the Queen of England, you know, where he's kind of simpering. Look at me, I'm with the Queen. Is it she cute? <laughs> um, but also there's this argument, which I rather like, that uh, narcissism, narcissism is not a mental illness. It's a character disorder. Yes. Yeah. the way they choose to show up. It's this getting away with things because they know they can. It's, they are not 
out of control. So just the fact that they can switch it on and off with certain people, that shows that it's not a disease. Because if it yeah. was a disease, they would just stay like that the whole time. It's like people like, oh, I'm, a, I, I'm always in a bad mood. But then when there's a, I always yelling and scream, but there's if a cop stops you, you're not going to yell and scream. You know when to turn it off. So you're not really. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, I've seen alcoholics hold off for a few drinks too, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look, I, it, it, I, it, it's mm -hmm. a deep, it's a deep issue because, you know, for instance, pedophiles, right? Um, in some sense, we know that these people are compelled with overpowering urges uh, that nobody yeah, you would... you can't call them that anymore. Oh, whatever. And, and Min nobody... Minor attracted persons. Minor attracted persons that nobody would choose uh, to do if, you know, so... Um, but, you know, if you start going down the road of, you know, feeling sorry for them, people will freak out. So, so I think that as I, as I think about these things, the, the one thing I conclude is that um, without regard to, we'll never know really what people can and can't be or can and can't control, but we ought to um, know what we need to protect ourselves from as a society in terms of our, our, our personal relationships, our children, our government positions, whatever it is, whether, whether Trump is who he is or a pedophile is who they are through fault of their own, not fault of their own, whether they are uh, evil intention, whatever, whatever it is, we know that these people bring destruction in their wake and we have to I'd be able to identify them so that we can protect ourselves from them. And I think that's really the much more important issue, right? Than to feel good about, about uh, saying, what an asshole, he's horrible, whatever it is. You know, who knows what's going on in the head of somebody who has a mental uh, a character disorder? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're capable of addressing and, and what they're not. Nobody knows. I admire your fair mindedness. Uh, thank you. Um... <laughs> But I. <laughs> but but fuck her. No, that was a slip of the tongue. It should have yeah. been an and. And <laughs> I also dispute it. Yeah. I think. I think we are not talking about like and like. You know, there is no. There is no getting away from. Well, I'm. I'm Sorry, no, I won't even go there. But um, no, I do think that narcissists are a separate group. They have no penalties for what they do. There is no, they don't lose by it. Yeah. And they are functioning perfectly well in society. I do not believe that it is something that we should um condone and you get people you get three people who come out of the same family two may be vile one looks at the other two and goes i just don't want to be like that and i work with so many women who are brought up by narcissistic parents who've seen the model and who have been the scapegoats of their parents and who have said if I had to make the choose choice between being the golden child and going down their road and my choice and being the scapegoat and having the difficulties I've been through I would still choose my path because I have values right. which they hold to 
do you, do you feel like narcissists um you know are you know more more nowadays like did it grow that in the recent years or and also does it change with culture like where you are you know or or if you're a narcissist just going to be narcissist or whatever you go I think that's a huge question. Um, narcissists exist everywhere in the world. Patriarchal traditional societies offer them a very nice little environment. Mm -hmm. um, but equally, our lovely woke societies offer them a great environment. It's the constraints are really off at the moment. I think, you know, when we sort of really did live in a world where the god was overall it possibly reduced numbers of narcissists and possibilities to express your narcissism fully i'm sure those people have always existed but they have much more space in which to luxuriate now because some, some some cultures like especially in third world countries and stuff like that you know the the society and the culture you know approve of it it's, they don't even call it narcissist relationship they just call mm. it relationships yeah that's so right yeah they don't want to you know uh so they'll be so do you feel like it's growing more nowadays or no well i would like to think that as awareness is growing it will help to limit the power of narcissists because people are beginning to realize no I do not want to be a part of this. Women and men are beginning to realize that this is not a way to live around narcissists. So I would like to think that that will become some kind of social control. It feels like on the one hand with like social media, you, you know, like the way you said that they can just move on if they get ostracized from a group. Mm. It's it's in some ways maybe harder to do. Like, you know, in New York, there's a couple people that might be like a problem in the comedy community and they might move to L.A. Pretty quickly, word gets around L.A. from comics groups and people talking mm. online or something. And, I, and that's I'm sure happens in all, you know, just the Internet in general allows both for people to talk about somebody who's causing harm and the flip side being like, you know, character assassination, basically. So it feels like on the one hand, it might be harder to escape the reputation you've created. And on the other hand, now narcissists have a new tool with which to maybe wield power or, you know, exploit any kind of power structure if there is one, which is this is just creating a new one. Yeah, I think um, I think that's true. I think the um, comedy circle is probably a relatively small environment. With, Definitely. So that makes a difference. The And also the people who talk about the badly behaved ones are believed. One of the great gifts of the narcissist is to hide what they do and then spread the word that the person who has come out and said, well, actually they're a narcissist, that that person is crazy. And they're very good at twisting it. But in, you know, in less rarefied circles, you can go a long way without getting discovered, I think. What, what are the professions? So obviously politics is just a classic profession that would attract a narcissist, right? And then maybe comedian. And then what, 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 what professions do you think have a higher uh, rate of narcissists? 
I, I think that's almost an impossible question, but you can find them in the church, you can find them among doctors, you can find them among lawyers, you can find them absolutely Business everywhere. owners. Sorry? Business, business owners. owners. Yeah. Sorry, I still didn't understand. People who Bus own businesses. Yeah, businesses. So, so you basically everywhere. described most of the professions that Jews go into. Yeah. Is, that, is that your point? <laughs> <laughs> and you said lawyer and a business. You said lawyer and a business owner. So this norm got two it's, strikes. Doctors, right lawyers, <laughs> business owners. Um, is, there some, <laughs> is, is there some benefit, though, like specifically, like I think of surgeons, you know, like the, that's a stereotype among surgeons is having that like God complex like that. Um, Alec Baldwin role that he played. But I have a buddy that's a surgeon. That's all he's a very cocky guy. I don't know that he's a narcissist necessarily, but is there maybe some evolutionary benefit to having the kind of ego where you're you feel extremely comfortable cutting another person open and potentially killing them and having that risk and that maybe makes you calmer and performing a heart surgery or and, is and, there maybe some benefit to having a narcissist and, and to add to goals? your point i heard a big deal about uh jet fighters like pilots that fly jet fighters they have to be that you know kind of like that too like so much you know because so much power and so much trust but yeah surgeons as well go ahead yeah well i would like to think that is not the case of surgeons though we all know that some are but Actually, cutting open your first human body, even when it's a corp, is apparently quite traumatic for a lot of medical students. Um, it's hard, I think, not to entertain the beginning of a God complex when you're a doctor and you've got nurses and people deferring to you, which was certainly the old way. Um, I was married to a doctor. You know, <laughs> I could be Jewish girl. Um, but you are it, Jewish, you're right. Yes. <laughs> I believe you now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, yes, I, I could go on with my family roles, but uh, jobs, <laughs> but I won't. But you don't have to be a narcissist. Perhaps if you're actually committed to doing good and care deeply about the work you do, you can be a really good surgeon or whatever without being a narcissist. Yeah. But, but is there like some argument that narcissism gives you an advantage? You know, like there's for for uh, people who are autistic, they found certain roles in like computer programming where they excel and there's a particular mindset that that's just conducive to it. Is it possible that maybe we just might it, we might actually have better surgeons than the ones that are narcissists and maybe they're not doing it for the right reasons but the result is that more people have successful heart surgeries or i'm 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 just going to play devil's advocate for this whole thing no podcast. that's that's yes. who you are put myself, well, as soon yeah, as i said weakness I'm, i put myself that's what you that believe role. i think you've got a couple of issues there that um they would be extremely bad communicators with people which surgeons are and they actually do have to communicate with people sometimes the other thing is that they would be incredibly of their own opinion and be quite resentful if anybody challenged it or if they were accused yeah. of getting it wrong and i do know a lot of uh surgeons and heart surgeons and you're absolutely right in that matter because i was always wondering because Sometimes I see somebody disagreeing with them from the other doctors and say no, and they they don't stick to their opinion. They're like, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe let's do that. You know. Mm. So you're absolutely right. So one of the ways to help people that in um, 
narcissistic relationship or all that is is you you started your uh, break free membership uh website so you want to tell us about that a little bit so can people can go to it if they need help yeah thank you so basically when you come out of an out of a narcissistic relationship you're totally obsessed with the narcissist and then you start to feel very bad about yourself but you're still thinking about narcissist 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 and the fact is there's a whole healing journey that you need to do because your self-worth has been smashed to pieces. You don't know who you are anymore. You're terrified of having another relationship, but you want to have another relationship because you want to feel that somebody loves you. So there is a whole process of rebuilding yourself that needs to take place and it's really multi-layered. You've got to learn about the narcissist. You've got to learn about yourself. If you have children, you've also got to master the whole thing of how you manage this so-called co-parenting, which is actually counter-parenting. And there's the whole issue of how you get to be happy again. So in my Break Free membership, which is a group thing, it is something that has this layered approach to learning all the skills you need to know, learning how to do boundaries, learning how to interact with difficult people in a way that keeps you safe in the future so that you are not sending out these I'm vulnerable you can move in on me messages ever again and you learn how to negotiate with all kinds of people how to stand your ground how to show up totally differently so it's a whole new way of learning how to do you in a much um more enjoyable way so you can get a second chance to have a really good life and a really good relationship okay do you is there any way that narcissist people do not know that they are narcissists does that even well did that happen or no they wouldn't quite a lot of them wouldn't even accept the criteria okay you know i've just you know, I'm just clear about who I am. I just know what I want. I'm direct. I go for it. But if they do discover their narcissists, they don't have to hold on to it if it's the truth they don't want. Right. Yeah. You know, a narcissist believes what they're saying at the time that they're saying it. But if okay. you don't like that truth, they've got another one and another one and another one. Okay. Um. Do you guys right, we, have any more questions? We got to go. We're out of time. Yeah. Uh, well, this is what's great. So thank you so much for all the information. I hope people can go to thank your you. uh, uh, break free membership, which I will have the uh, the link in the description. Unless you're a narcissist trying to infiltrate. Stay away. Yeah. And I apologize for yes. what Boris said earlier a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, okay. <laughs> all right. You guys want to share information, Boris, um, where people can find you, any shows coming up and all that? At the Boris K. Uh, they can find all my stuff there. All right. Annie, do you want to share information? Um, you can find my information at um, recoverfromemotionalabuse.com. Recoverfromemotionalabuse.com. All right. Norm, anything? Nothing. Comedyseller.com. Comedy Especially the one in Vegas. He's a Palestinian kid. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. And great to see you all. And we'll talk when you come to New York. Come and visit the commissary. You're going to laugh. Uh, Please do, yeah. 
Yeah. I have lots of narcissists to introduce you to. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Stay away. Bye. They, they can be quite entertaining when they're on stage. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. Take care.